visited Bob and Kathy Lee at the Robert E. Lee Ranch Company on August 11, 2011. The Lee Ranch is in the foothill of the Snowy Mountains outside of Judith Gap, and it's known for the quality of environmental stewardship with which it is managed. Bob Lee has not only been bestowed the National Environmental Stewardship Award, but also Range Man of the Year, Soil and Water Conservationist of the Year, and MSU Agriculturalist of the Year. He sees all the awards as a chance to tell their story, and what an engaging storyteller he is. Well, first of all, I guess we should tell you my name is Bob Lee. I'm married to Kathy Lee. How did you end up ranching? We were kind of those kids that had a dream. We took off on our own and uh, decided that we would love to continue the agriculture tradition that we were raised with on our own. So we kind of took off on our own in 1969. We bought our first piece of ground up here and through bartering and trading and working with my parents and her parents and stuff like that, we, get, we got started and we love it. We've been doing it 43 years. Uh, enjoy every day of it. What are your favorite parts of ranching? Getting up in the morning. <laughs> you get up in the morning because every day is different on a ranch. You uh, you have the seasons, but you also have to take care of your livestock and your and your resource. You know, as grazing land managers, we are responsible for the greatest renewable resource in our opinion in America, and that is our grazing lands, our grass cover. So yes, well, what does what does grass have to do with everything? Grass not only provides forage for our livestock but also for our wildlife. And a lot of people don't realize that it is a great filtering system for sediment and uh, snowfall and everything else before it gets into our water systems. Healthy riparian areas, and a riparian area is that green zone around a, around a creek or a wet spot. Healthy riparian areas usually reflect good surroundings. And you have filters and it works good. We're, we're very proud to be grazing land managers. Is there anything you can think of that might be your least favorite part about it? Well, probably the least part about ranching anymore is we're becoming more and more regulated and the paperwork and all that stuff like that is really, I guess, unnecessary in my opinion because what is the need of that it takes a lot of time, energy, and money to uh, facilitate all the, the stuff that we're doing responsibly anyway. But it, it just takes time, and we are limited by time, energy, and money. So it's just another element infringing on the time that we have. And ranchers and farmers, we, we work pretty hard. Besides regulation, what are some of the largest changes you've seen over the years that you've been ranching? Probably just the scope. The scope and the size of the operation with machinery uh, and land becoming so much more expensive to be able to afford machinery that is very costly for putting up hay and just even the pickups for, for providing salt and fencing and all that stuff, it, it's uh, you have to really watch your cash flow. It, it's a pretty money intense operation. So you have to get bigger, you have to be more efficient. People say, I can't be more efficient. We have to become more efficient somehow to be sustainable. And by sustainable, I mean not only economically, but socially, and that's something we work hard as ranchers. In the future, looking forward generations, what changes do you foresee maybe your ranch having to adopt or well, become? Well, tomorrow is a gift. You know, every day the future is a gift. That's how you, you take the cards you're dealt and you live with them. And I guess being educated, you have to continue to be involved so you can learn how you can make yourself more sustainable and take care of this open space that we value so highly. Uh, not just us, taxpayers, town dwellers, everybody else wants to come out and experience the open space that we have here on the ground. Not only do we provide forage and fiber for the, for people, but what am I going to have to do in 10 years from down the road? I don't know, but I think you're going to have to continue to learn and uh, 
be responsible. I'd like to, I'd like to leave a legacy of, uh, of what we've done in the past years. Right back there, that thing on the mantle there, Sarah, is, is what we received in 98 as the National Environmental Stewardship Award winner for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. It's not an award that we strived. It is an award that we received in recognition for some of the things that we have done, be it grazing management, water management, uh, monitoring, taking care of this valuable Bible resource in Montana. It's pretty special. It's <laughs> very humbling. Yeah. Do you know who's going to take over the ranch? Well, I hope it's a member of the family, but we've encouraged our kids to go out and explore their dreams too. You know, every January, Kathy and I have the opportunity to go to Helena and we talk to the Young Ag Couples Conference. And we've put together a, a PowerPoint. You start as a slideshow entitled 10 Dimes to Make a Dollar. Everybody can relate to economics, but we take each one of those dimes and we relate it to resource management issues, personal issues, and things like that we have accomplished and done over the years to help the next generation come on board. And the first thing that I ask them, are you having fun, you enjoy what you're doing? If you're doing this just because mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or somebody expect you to do this, you have only one life to live. So underneath that umbrella, we have encouraged our kids to get an education. They've all graduated from college. They're all doing their own thing. Uh, perfect. Well, I hope one of these days some of them will come back, but I'm not going to take away their dream. They have their dreams too. And I'm very proud of them. And uh, Montana State University has been well to them, and I know you're from U of M. But uh, our oldest daughter graduated top of her class. Our uh, second daughter was the outstanding senior woman. And uh, Kenny, our boy, was one of the top 10 senior men graduated from Montana State University. And they come from a high school of, in those days, was 30 in high school. What do you garner from that? Well, it's a small rural high school where everybody participates in everything to make it function. So you learn life skills, you learn how to work with each other, and I think that pays dividend down the road. So when they went to college, they stepped right in. They had a lot of friends through 4-H, FFA, and uh, range, Montana Range Days and all those things. So it really helped them socially. Did I answer a question? I don't know where we started. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that, that's what we're up to. Oh, enjoy what you're doing. What's going to happen in 10 years? Well, I'm not going to sell it, I don't think. And we've had a lot of chances to sell it just because we, it's a beautiful place. And it, we started, it was, uh, it was, it needed some work, but that's what you're supposed to do with, with a dream. Some of those dimes, those 10 dimes that set goals, encourage kids to set goals, and monitor and utilize your, and enhance your grazing lands. Uh, get education, be partners with NRCS, National Resource Conservation Service, GLCI, Grazing Lands Conservation Initiative, all those things. You work with all those people together and it's called relationships. You know, you start with relationships the day you're born with your mother, you start the relationship with your teachers, you start relationship with your pastors, you start relationship with, with your wife and then your kids. And all this relationship comes back and pays dividends to you as you go through life. What do you find are some of the most important virtues that you have needed to rely on to be a good ranger? Care comes from the heart, from the soul. You don't do this for the money and you don't do this for, for because you have to do it because you love it. So why else would you get up crack of dawn or even before dawn and just go outside and see what you can do to take care of your livestock? Your livestock are converting a forage, your grass, into a high-protein red meat for the consumer. And we value that very highly. We have a good health system. Nobody overgrazes. The body condition score of those cows and their calves are they're taken care of. The cows get fed before we do. If it's a blizzard, you take care of those cows and calves before you go have breakfast or supper or whatever because they 
they're relying on you to take care of them. If you don't want to take care of them, you shouldn't be in the business. They're very special animals. The virtue is loving what you're doing. It shows. It shows. Hope that helped. What are some of your strongest memories looking back? Family, growing up together. Because Kathy and I, we took off in a, in a red 1966 Dodge pickup and we didn't know you could fail or had the opportunity to fail. But you not only have the opportunity to succeed, Sarah, but when you're in this kind of business or any business, you also have the opportunity to fail. And failure is not the end of the world. It's if you learn from your mistakes and go forward. Doing things together is taking something and making it better with your family and your kids and everybody and your neighbors and your neighbors. You have to communicate. You have to give and take just like anything else. Next. <laughs> is there one memory in particular that just stands out? I think it is a character that you've established over the years. Your, your reputation, uh, the memories of how we have been sustainable. We have taken some water sources, enhanced those through pasture. I'd have to say the biggest, if I had the, if I had to stand on something and say, I'm pretty proud of what we have done. And that would be with our grass and pasture management through grazing systems, um, water development areas, animal condition and health, and all that kind of stuff. Here you go, Kath. It's never ending. I think if we had to stand on something that stands out, is that we have been successful by being positive and proactive in what we're doing. And you feel like the, the environmental stewardship has helped you be able to sell your food product too? Well, it always, it always helps. You know, environmental stewardship, all farmers and ranchers are, are the original environmentalists. They take care of everything or they're not going to be here. We pass this to the next generation and the next generation providing a healthy food product. When we received that National Environmental Stewardship Award, I thought, oh my gosh, what are, we, what are we going to do now? People are going to expect us to do something. But Sarah, it was an opportunity to share with other people what we're doing. We have hosted tours from all of the United States, and I'd rather be a giver than a taker. Just like you coming on board, I don't know you from Adam. You go to Missoula, you know, that's all right. But uh, well, I always think that if somebody wants to learn or ask questions, the only dumb question is one that isn't asked. And if I can help you understand more of what we're doing, I'm all for it. I love doing it. What was the question? That's what we're doing. <laughs> the stewardship thing gives, gives us an opportunity. Give us an opportunity. And we, and we seized it. And how many acres altogether do you... Oh, I tell you, that's one thing, you know, in the farm and ranch business, I know you probably don't even realize this, but one thing you don't ever ask anybody is how many cows they have or how many acres it's they true. own. Because it's just like me asking you how much money you got in the bank take. Yeah, That just kind definitely. of heads up. It's an old cowboy way. We, we, we've got a pretty nice unit right here. We've put together five places. And, well, we have 15,000 acres. That's what we've got. Started with nothing and, and uh, through leasing and bartering and trading. And, you know, if, if you're doing something right, as best of your ability, people want to be part of that parade. They come to us and ask, would you farm my place or would you be interested in leasing our place or what can we do? And I appreciate people that do that, Sarah, that they just don't want the dollar. They want somebody to realize the investment value of you taking care of their greatest renewable resource. It's just like state lands. Montana has a lot of state grazing lands. And if you have a good leasee on there that's enhancing that valuable product for the sustainability of this generation and the next generation, I think that's, uh, you can't put a price tag on it. And I'm, well, I, I take people to my state leases and our forest permit or anything else and, and, and share with them what, what we've got. Those tours that we got, those bus tours, worldwide tours, they'd come from all over. A lot of times people just didn't understand what we were doing. And we go up and show them grasslands, water areas, wildlife, 
and stuff like that. And then we go back to the shop and we, we feed them what we call the shipping day lunch, what we do when we ship calves. I tell you what, they wouldn't leave. They don't want to go home. We had one, one outfit, two buses that were supposed to be in Great Falls for the Charles Russell Museum. And this tour director said, they have, we have got to go. Finally, this one guy went up to him and said, will you call and tell them we're not going to make it? We want to know what's going on here. In fact, they wanted to buy the beef. They just, people want to know. Happy to do it. So, small gift. What do I get out of it? Monetarily, nothing. But it help educate the other people. And I hope what you're doing is along those same lines. Yeah, I hope so too. You can reference me on that if you want to. I don't. You probably will. I will. Okay. I've noticed this trend towards city kids, people who have never been on farms before, mm -hmm. suddenly wanting to go back to the land to start their farms. If you could give them any advice to help them recognize the realities of it. And I'll, do, I'll say the same thing that I've said to our kids and us. If you have a dream, don't let somebody steal it from you. If you want to do something bad enough and you say, oh, you can't do it, you just don't want it bad enough. I give the, I give the graduating commencement speech at Montana State University. College of Agriculture two years ago when they called here and wanted me to do that. That's exactly what I told them. Have your dreams. They may be out of reach, but they're not out of sight. You have your dreams. Don't let somebody steal your dreams from you. You find a way. And there's a lot of people out there that will help you. You share. You help work with them. Show the same love. You, you'll find some help. Just, just, don't, just don't ever say no. I, that's what I believe. We all return to our homeland, so to speak, but people always want to connect to the soil if they can. And one of the biggest reasons, I think, is the satisfaction you receive from creating that responsible product, your garden site, taking care of your lawns, and everything else like that, and still connect with nature. You cannot buy that, and the real value is the further, the longer you're away from it, the more you realize that you miss it. The old saying is, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Well, sometimes you have to go back home connect with your family, uh, your neighbors, and all that stuff, and and, uh, and realize, smell the roses, I guess. That's what I believe in. I'm glad you showed up. Yeah, you got a big yeah. scenic route. And if you want to go drive around, look at some grass, we'll do that too. Okay, okay. shut that thing off, we'll oh. have some dessert. After telling me the Lee Ranch story and filling my coffee cup and dessert plate, Bob gave me a tour of the ranch supplemented with historical, ecological, and agricultural commentary. We're going through pasture 14 up here in the Blake Creek of uh, the Snowy Mountain Range. Talking a little bit about grasses, the difference between introduced grass and uh, native grasses. Your cool season grasses, your native grasses are your green needle grass, your blue bunch wheat grass. We call them the ice cream plants in, in the cattle business. Introduced grasses are grasses that grow pretty rapidly in the spring, but then they get pretty coarse in the fall. Your native grasses need to have time in the spring to grow but they last longer into the fall. So balancing between the native and your introduced gives you a lot of value. We're going past a, an aspen grove now in a riparian area, and we visited earlier about riparian areas. If you have a healthy, functioning riparian area, you probably have a good grazing system. We have a lot of new growth aspens this year because of the terrific amount of rain that we had in the spring. So it's they're grasping that opportunity to grow and, and uh, make some new shoots, and, and they're doing well. Also, we're talking about water. How water can help you in grazing management and the distribution of your cattle. We like to develop water, and I love to use gravity as a, as a way of moving water. In other words, we'll develop water high as we can, and then through pipelines and floats and pressure reducers and all that stuff, we just start dropping tanks down through a grazing system, say every half a mile or something like that. 
That way your cattle love to drink out of good, clean water, even more so than streams. So we found out by putting water in the uplands, your cattle will go out and utilize your grasses more evenly than they will in a riparian area. Because cows are basically sometimes like humans. If they can get by by laying in the shade, find enough water and enough food to eat, life is good. But if you allow them the opportunity to go into your uplands and utilize some of those other grasses that they wouldn't, they'll do it. Cows will drink out of a clean water source, be it a round tank or some kind of tank, rather than drink out of a flowing stream. Our cows will walk past the stream, a uh, majority of them will, to drink out of a, a round float tank that really works good. We're gonna go show you a source of water right now. In other words, I'd like to find a spring high, high enough that I can utilize that gravity. We'll go up there and find where this water is coming from. We'll capture it into a culvert stood upside down. In other words, stood up and down, perpendicular to the ground. You catch that water, in, you put holes in the culvert, put viscoine below it. You grab the water into that culvert and then you let the water out with a two inch plastic line for a half a mile or whatever you need. So you get to distribute that water. It works really well. If you get too many aspens in the grove and they're starting to kind of choke out the grass, do you just hand cut them out? How do you keep them under control? Well, that's, that's a very good question because they will propagate as much as they can and your grass will go away. Sometimes you just have to let them have their natural life cycle. But sometimes it's like anything else. If you have too many cows in an area, too many wildlife in an area, there's going to be a natural occurring instance or your range or something is going to go away. So the question is, I would probably go in there with a bush hog or something like that and whack some of those and let the other ones grow and then you would have your continuing area. Up here in this, we're into a pine, uh, ponderosa pine, dug fir foothill region right now. And if you look underneath these pines as you get higher, you, you find less grass. You have uh, some grass underneath there, but it's kind of a pine grass. It doesn't have a lot of value. But you need the woods too. You need the woods to protect your wildlife, to uh, capture the snow, and just provide shade. And really the aesthetic value is pretty cool. So we're gonna head up here, show Sarah a water collection system, and uh, we'll go at it from there. Another thing about aspens, if you find aspens, groves of aspens, you probably have a pretty good water source or there is somewhat of a water source somewhere. So that's another clue to look and see what you can find. We're going through a grove right now that's probably a quarter of a mile long and there is a lot of regrowth. Aspens take water, but they provide an asset too. I'm going to show Sarah right now a culvert upside down. I put two four-inch sewer type pipes out above as a collector and then cover them with gravel clean wash gravel so in other words that water goes into those four inch pipes flows into this culvert and then we push it on down to a water source so we're going to go look at that we're standing in a low area that used to be a bog hole literally so you think well, there's water here somewhere. So we brought in a backhoe and we went up with two lateral lines to capture water that we perceived to be in here and that definitely was true. So we got it into the culvert. I'm gonna take the lid back. I want you to listen with that microphone. 
what you hear is water flowing into this 36 inch culvert and then it's going out a two inch line you see on the other side yeah. and we're going to go down there to that tank and I'll show you what it looks like. So we take that tank and we run it on down probably two miles with floats and valves. In other words your lower tank fills first, a float valve shuts it off, it backs up into tank number two but I've also got valves to where I can shut it off. That's cool. That is a cool system. That's cool. That is cool. This this just really makes life better. Because when we got this place, all they had for water was a bog hole. Well, you can figure that cattle don't do good in bog holes, <laughs> just like we would. You know what, Sarah? If you can just sit here for a minute and listen and enjoy the tranquility of what the land can bring to your body and your soul. You can hear the birds. You can feel the grasses and the ground, the connection. Everything's pretty healthy. You have pretty good stubble height. It's just pretty special. You can't buy this in a store. The big picture, I guess, is we take care of the cars we're dealt and protect them to the best of our ability. At the same time, you have to use them, not use them up, but you have to use them to keep them healthy. It's just like a lawn. In town, if you had a lawn that you never mowed, pretty soon it becomes so decadent that the grasses cannot survive. Except for if you dig down deep into the duff, you'll find one little green grass is trying to get some sunshine to make its life cycle complete just a great big puzzle how you manage the land with the human resources the animal resources and as we get into this tank you can see where we had a little bit of a probably I would assume looking at this a bull got in the uh, and wrecked the plank I want you to notice right here on this here too and we're just gonna use a visual right there you see that expanded metal coming up out of that tank you know what we call that that's an escape ramp so say for example a squirrel, some other animal, is getting a drink of water and falls in and doesn't have the ability to either climb or, or swim out, they go around and there is an expanded metal, they can get out and away they go. Beautiful, clean, fresh water. I'll tell you a little bit of history on this place. This kiwi right here used to be called hard scrabble. The first house board sod in the snowy mountains come out of this canyon here called hard scrabble because there's quite a bit of rock around here and uh, they used to bring their wagons up here get some wood go back and start building their homestead shacks up above up here I've still kept some remnants I love history and I think if you don't learn from history or keep some history around I'm gonna back up I'm gonna show you a little plant oh there's one right off there right see that purple flower okay now that's called a warm season plant so what do I mean by warm season? They flower in the warmest part of the year, which is August right now. Most of our forbs, and you come up here in the springtime, this whole country is alive with wildflowers, your sticky geraniums, your uh, uh, arrow leaf balsam root and all those, but that there is called dotted gay feather. And if you look underneath it, underneath the leaf, there's a bunch of little dots on it. That's why they call it dotted gay feather. Pretty special. Beautiful. Everything's in a cycle. We always try to leave our grazing lands with plenty of stubble height, 
You know, you've always heard, take half, leave halves. Awful good principle. Everybody should live by that. Because when you leave half, you capture all that snow and that filtering system that we talked about earlier. Filters your water, stops the fast erosion or runoff that would cause erosion over the years, over the process of the springtime. Look at it this way. In the wintertime, would you rather lay out here on the ground with a sheet on or would you like to be out here with a quilt? When you leave a lot of grass, or some grass, that'd be a lot of grass, leave some grass, captures all that snow. Snow is an insulator, and all that grass has a better chance of, of making it through the winter. We'll talk a little bit about increasers and decreaser plants. What do I mean by increasers, and what do I mean by decreasers? Decreasers is a grass plant that decreases over time in response to grazing, weather events or something like that. Increasers is another plant that increases as your decreaser goes away. So God always wants to keep some cover on this ground and we like to keep the decreasers on there and some increasers is not all bad but if we don't keep either or then pretty soon we have weeds and they are very susceptible to growing in short periods of time and not providing any value, any cover, or anything for our animals. Now we're at a second tank, which is on a float system for a, three pastures here. We have three pastures that can graze out of this tank. And you can see, this one has been used on my left, been used on the right, and that one there has not been used. But you can see where we moved cows through there as I took them over to another pasture. Pretty cool. And that's all de decreaser plants out there. Yeah, I guess if you need to charge your batteries, we say around our place, just get out, stand on the land, and uh, listen, smell, and taste. Probably the best fertilizer you can put on the ground is man's footsteps and see what's going on. But how do you record what's going on? How do you remember? Well, you have books, monitor. We have grass plots, monitoring plots, where every year around the 4th of July or somewhere in there. The kids, we go out there and we look in a four by four area that we have marked in a map that we can tell you exactly what was there last year, what's increasing, what's decreasing, trend lines and that kind of stuff. Well, it's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And talk about good habitat. There's bears, turkey, uh, white-tailed deer, elk, all in these areas right here. We have a saying on our place, we call wildlife indicator species. Wildlife indicate where the best grazing is. They have the luxury of jumping over a fence or going wherever they want to, where the forage is the best to their needs at that time of the year. Part of the equation. Man, wildlife, grass, plants, water, sunlight, uh, cover. Looking out here, just to, that, that grass is two to three feet high, and it is a native decreasing plant. PNCA, perennial native cool increaser, or decreaser if it's a blue bunch, um, green needle grass, Columbia needle grass, those kind of grasses. You can see a few nuisance weeds, like right there's a piece of hound's tongue. Yep, it's kind of a pain in the rear, but it's all right. We try to harvest it to the best of our ability. A lot of gay feather right there. We, uh, yep, you just don't want it to get out of control. Knapweed, 
I think is one of the worst things that could happen to us. And you have yellow star thistle. We don't have that here. A little concerned about knapweed and its ability to spread. Uh, hunters, people using the, the back roads of Montana, bring that knapweed with them. And it's a it's an opportunistic plant. It grows very rapidly. If you got five more minutes, I'll run you over here and show you West Fork of Lake, which is an awful nice riparian area. We have a lot of fences, as you can see. Each one of those pastures has a name. That's Kenoki Pass up there. We're gonna go over here to the bull pasture. That was 14. That was Evan's place. We just kept looked at that water tank. It all works out. Just like moving around, a constantly moving puzzle. So when you're all done putting together your puzzle for the year or for your growing season or whatever, you have something that you can visually enjoy everybody else has enjoyed also you look up on that ridge up there you see that uh, see, see a few dead trees that's from the pine beetle one of those occurring natural occurring things we didn't really like it but I think we're kind of over it so some of that those trees will go through the process off to our left is two uh, white-tailed does this field we're going through right now will be uh, seeded to new alfalfa next year the other day we were up here haying in the West Fork of Blake right now and there were seven bull elk standing out here enjoying the, uh, the area. It's pretty cool. We've had a good year here. By good, I mean we've really grown some forage. Gives you an opportunity through a good grazing system to kind of stockpile some of that for the next year just not next year, for the next 10 years. Pretty wet out here, but that's all right. So what we've done is I've kind of given you a short tour of what we uh, what we do here on the Lee Ranch Company in Central Montana, south side of the snowies. Our elevation's about 5,400 feet, we're a little high. We don't do any irrigation, we just rely on Mother Nature to take care of us. We have pretty good soil, silty loams up here. These darker soils are silties. We have a Richardson ground squirrel. And a few of them are all right too, but too many of them raise havoc. Hard to control though. Another piece of the puzzle. Do you ever have to trap them? Most of the time you just let people come up and hunt them. And if they get 10% of them, they're pretty lucky. But they go through that cycle like birds. The birds are on a seven-year cycle. Um, just ups and downs. A lot of coyotes live off of them. We don't have any wolves over here in this area. So, in my opinion, that's kind of good because they are an apex predator and a few of them go a long ways. Beautiful place to raise a family. Provide a quality food product for the consumers. One that we're proud of. One that we welcome the opportunity to be responsible for. So that kind of brings us to conclusion. It's been a pleasure meeting you, sir, and look forward to some of your work. Beautiful. <laughs> this project was made possible by a grant from the Matthew Hansen Endowment Fund and by an award through the Environmental Studies Department at the University of Montana. Special thanks to Lauren Chase, Multimedia Outreach Specialist of the Montana Stock Growers Association. The 
song in this program is Chip of a Star by Chatham County Line. See links and hear more of my collection of interviews at montanaheritageproject.com. Mm-hmm.